Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. I've invited you to go grab your Bible. Invitations are kind of an amazing thing, and invitations what got me to go to church. So, a long time ago now, um, I knew this really pretty girl, and we met a lot, had a lot of conversations about God, and at the time, I was actually a believer, but I'd become very upset with the church, and I'd walked away. And she came, and she met with me, and she would go over things and talk to me and be very patient with me. And there was an Easter Sunday where I really believed I should have been at church. I knew, I felt that conviction that I should be there, and I actually hid behind the excuse, but I wasn't invited. The next week, I met with this very pretty girl, um, and she invited me to church. We were leaving. We just, like, had dinner at my apartment. We were leaving my apartment on the way out the door, and she said, you know, if you ever want to come with me, you're invited. And I had this moment where I couldn't hide anymore. I had to accept the fact that either I had to turn down this invitation or I had to accept this invitation. And so the next week, I was at church. And until COVID-19 happened, I hadn't missed a single Sunday except for being sick in the last 15 years. Now, that pretty girl, I married her, so that turned out all good. (laughs) Um, But one of the things she really impressed on me was how important it is to actually invite people, to reach out to them, to invite them. And one of the things I love about Crosspoint is we are inviting church. When I came here for the first time, I felt invited and welcomed. I've watched as other people in leadership and other people, whether it's with children or adults or families, have welcomed people in. I've watched people who aren't in leadership, who just attend every week, reach out and invite people. Invitation is such an important thing to us. And so the morning, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 96. And Psalm 96 starts with, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Now, this word sing is actually a really unique one. It doesn't show up a lot of time in Scripture. This particular sing in Hebrew is the word sir. Now, sir means to participate in singing. So you get this, cons- this idea from this word that you're not just called to sing. You're actually invited. You're invited to be with others, to sing with them, to sing this song with them, to be excited about it. Now, in juxtaposition of this, Psalm 95, verse 1 starts with, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Now, this thing is the thing we typically see in Psalms. This thing is the word yahab, and that just means to sing or to shout or to cry out to the Lord. And that's the thing we see when we read the Psalms of David writes about being despondent and upset, or the ones where they're praising God. More and more times we see yahab, so it's kind of unique in this case we're going to see sir. Um... This psalm belongs to a group of psalms, I'm going to get more into this in a second, called Kingship and Covenant Psalms. Now, Kingship and Covenant Psalms are the psalms that worship God as this amazing creator and king of all the world. And even in these psalms, you don't see sir very often. So we start with this invitation. He's inviting us. The psalmist is inviting us to join the church, to join the chorus, to join the song, 
to be reflective and engaged and active in our participation and understanding and love of the Lord. Now, i got to back up for a second, because we're in the book of Psalms, and if you've been joining us every week, you know what the Psalms are about. I want to take a step back and understand what that invitation actually is. So the book of Psalms is the largest book in the entire Bible, and it's written over five centuries. Now, something to consider about that is it's written over actually a long period of time, because this was their hymnal. They were writing songs, and they were picking up songs as they went along. Different people wrote songs. We don't even know who wrote all of the psalms. Some of them are ascribed to David. There's one ascribed to Moses. Um, but we know that they're important. The psalms are actually quoted 75 times in the New Testament, or 75 different psalms are quoted. And Christ himself actually quotes 16 different psalms. It contains the shortest and the longest chapters of the Bible. And it includes the very middle of the Bible, which is an incredible verse. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And that's what we're invited to this morning. To put our trust in the Lord, to respond to the Lord, and to understand him. Now, different psalms belong to different groupings or different genres. And they don't necessarily are all grouped together. So you can't say Psalm 1 through 10 is this, and Psalm 10 through, or 11 through 20 is this. But Psalm 96 belongs to the group of liturgical psalms for public worship. So they're meant to be sung in public with people and to be excited and get excited about God. These psalms put emphasis on praising God. Now, Psalm 96 is specifically part of the kinship and covenant psalms. These psalms affirm loyalty to God as king and emphasize God's divine kingship and his sovereign rule over the entire universe. So I want us to take a moment this morning to actually read through the entire psalm, and then we're going to start breaking it down. So Psalm 96 begins with that invitation. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will be judged. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the seas resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Now I mentioned, we're going to break down this psalm a little bit. So starting with the first two verses, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord of the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. So I mentioned we've been served, we've been invited by the psalmist into this relationship with God, into this song, and they're meant to be sung out loud in congregational worship. They're meant to be sung together as a group. And what's great about this invitation is this is something anybody can do. 
It doesn't talk about age, it doesn't talk about gender, it doesn't talk about sex, it doesn't talk about anything about who we are. It just asks us to do it. And the great thing is, there's a passage in the Bible where it says we're to shout to the Lord with joy in our hearts, which is great because we can be terrible, terrible singers. There's a reason why you've never seen me on stage to worship, and I love worship, but God didn't give me that gift. And that's okay because we can make this joyful noise to him. Because ultimately, our worship isn't about us, it's about God. It's about that invitation, that relationship, to, or that invitation to be in a relationship with him and to connect with him. Now, there's another invitation in this part. It says, proclaim his salvation day after day. Now, two things about this. One, if you were singing songs at home with us this morning, you've already done that. So good job. You're done for today. You can always do more. Um, but the other thing that's really cool about this is when we talk about salvation, often we think about Christ. And we think about Christ coming and dying for the whole world. But this is before Christ came. So what did salvation mean to the nation of Israel? Salvation literally means deliverer. So we're thinking about the God that delivered them. The God that saved them out of Egypt. The God that saved them from everything they went through. The God that was with them when they were dispersed amongst all the nations. It's a call to remember that deliverance from evil, his protection and his justice. Now, justice is going to be a recurring theme throughout not only the psalm, but any of the kingship and covenant psalms. Justice comes up over and over and over. We're called as a people to proclaim it, to remember his salvation day after day. That doesn't mean hide. doesn't mean sing in your van on the way somewhere. It means that we're actually supposed to bring it out into the light. There's this intentional juxtaposition between these two calls of action together. So we're invited to call and worship and to be one and also to proclaim his salvation and understand who he was. They're linked together. Now, last week, Dean mentioned you two in a sermon, and I got actually super excited. Every once in a while, you have these moments from God that are transparent. And I was getting ready for the sermon, and I'm like, God, I hope I'm doing the right thing. And then Dean mentions you two, and I'm like, yes! Because Bono actually wrote an essay on the Psalms. And he says in his essay, music is worship. Whether it's worship of a woman or their designer, the, the world or its destroyer. Whether it comes from the ancient place we call the soul or simply the spinal cortex. Whether the prayers are on fire with dumb rage or dove-like desires. The smoke goes upwards to God or something you replace with God. Usually yourself. The thing that's incredibly powerful about this is Worship, there's something unique and unique about it. Being invited to call and to sing a psalm or to sing a song to God and to think about who he actually is can be transformative. It can really work in our hearts. And God built us that way. When I was working on the sermon, I had a bunch of songs rolling through my head. We sang one today, Cornerstone. That was fantastic. Again, I love when God brings things together. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I also had this song in my head that's about this gentleman who has a deep and earnest desire to be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens, the room where it happens. Again, why I'm not on stage for singing. Um, if you don't get the reference, I'm talking about Hamilton. It's a great musical, and there's nothing wrong with Hamilton. There's nothing wrong with secular music. There's nothing wrong with tuning into music. But something to remember is Hamilton. I loved it, watched it, watched it two weeks ago, and I was listening to it every single day in my office. And you know what? My attitude actually went down. Because usually what I listen to in my office every single day is worship music. 
And so instead of inviting, joining that invite, joining that worship, instead I found myself focusing on things that are a bit more negative in tone, and it affected me overall. Again, nothing wrong with Hamilton, nothing wrong with secular music, but where we put our time and where we put our heart can affect us. So it's important to consider what we're doing there. Psalm 96 continues in verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. Again, another invitation. Don't just join the chorus. Don't just proclaim his salvation daily, but declare it to all people, to all nations. Kinship and covenant psalms affirm that loyalty of God as king with a sovereign rule over the whole universe. That's the point. And the recognition, if we're going to recognize that that's actually the point, that we're going to recognize that God is king and he has the sovereign rule over all the universe, then we have to actually recognize that he's unchangeable. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the same at the beginning and the end. And he knew when the psalm was written that Jesus was going to come and die for all mankind. And though Israel was God's chosen people, we see over and over and over how God was with Israel, he also invites people along the way. There is this God who created the heavens and the earth and everything and it was for all people and all nations. And this is such a timely and timeless message because the world we find ourselves in right now is desperately seeking that equality for all men. And we find that in God right from the beginning. Verse three is also this really cool moment where it starts building the momentum of the psalm. One of the things I notice about any of the liturgical songs that are meant for public worship is they have this crescendo that they're building to. They have a point that they're going to make. They keep going and building and continuing. So continuing on in verse 4, it says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So we've joined that chorus. We've been invited. We're praising God's salvation to all the people and all the nations. Next comes the acknowledgement of this truth, this fundamental truth. There's only one God. And that he's mightier than any other idol that we could ascribe to, any other idol that we could seek out. And that he's worthy of fear. And that this fear is directly relational to the acknowledgement of God's power. If we acknowledge that God created the universe and the heavens and everything in it, then truly he's something to be feared but we're going to continue to unfold that a little bit farther as we go on. So verse 6 reads, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all your families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. On this portion, we finally see that image of kingship. Again, this is a kingship and covenant psalm, but unlike its counterparts that often literally label God as king, this one's just a slight bit more subtle. In verse 8, we actually see how God is a king. What we're being invited to do, we're being invited to go to his court, and kings have courts. So consider the privilege and honor that's bestowed upon a person who's being invited to the king's court. Now, this might actually be a harder concept for us to grasp now. We don't live in a world that typically has a lot of kings and queens. We still have them. They definitely don't hold the same weight that they would have for the nation of Israel. If you can think about or know the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel is approaching um, Samuel uh, and desperately wanted a king, 
and they were calling out for one. They wanted one. They wanted to be like the other nations who had this great and mighty and powerful person. So you're talking about being invited into that court. You have to imagine what that image actually conveyed to them. So let's take a moment to imagine it. We do know of one significant queen in our world still. Imagine you've been invited to Buckingham Palace to meet the Queen of England. What would you wear? What would you say? How would you conduct yourself? What words do you want to cut out? Do you bow or curtsy? Do you shake hands? Do you stay six feet away? Do you bring your own hand sanitizer? These are all things you have to think about before you go. But now, instead of meeting the Queen of England, you're meeting the Lord of creation. You've been invited into his court to come, to bring an offering, to be part of that. The psalmist starts with that invitation to join the chorus and to lead into an invitation to join God in his court, but he's not done. Verse 10 reads, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. This image of the court, ultimately, it serves two purposes here. The first, we discussed that image of God as king. The second, where we typically, if I said I went to court last week, usually we're talking about going before a judge. And here's the other image that we get of God, this juxtaposition of the king and the judge. And what's brilliant about bringing these two things together is there's no other judge like God. He is righteous and he is perfect. Now, being judged is something that we've typically corrupted in our own sinful flesh, in our own sinful ways. And our society has totally given away to this idea of a righteous judgment. If anything, we don't have the right to judge others. But we have to actually consider how important this is. We do absolutely ascribe to righteous judgment. I was working with a young man years ago whose daughter was apprehended by children's services. At the time this child was living with mom, he didn't have any access to her, he didn't get to see her, and he was just starting to have visits and stuff when the kid was apprehended. He was the one who made the phone call to children's services. He was worried about the welfare of his daughter, and no one asked him if, any, if him or anyone in his life could help raise this daughter. Six months of court battles, of accompanying him, of going, of sitting next to him, of walking him through parenting classes that he was excited to be at. He took first aid on his own accord. I met with him, planned to talk about it with him. He's like, no, I already took that. I got it. Um, there was this moment where I was sitting on the bench, and the judge renders the verdict, and he orders that not only the child be taken back and placed with this young man, but it has to happen immediately. He had, had the heard the concerns from the defense attorney that sometimes this takes a few days to happen, was what we got warned from Children's Services. I almost jumped off the bench. I preserved myself. I didn't. Um, but what was awesome is he did, because that's righteous judgment. Because he got heard, he got validated, he got seen, and he got what he needed. And most of all, that little girl did. I got to be there when she came home, and I will tell you that was one of the best moments of my life. And what's awesome about the story is that I'm telling it to you. I hope there was a part of you that, like, was wondering, does she get to go home? Does she get to go back to him? Does the story have a happy ending? Because we do actually crave righteous judgment. When we talk about people being human trafficked, when we talk about people being sold into slavery, when we talk about people trapped in prostitution, when we talk about people who don't have enough food to eat, when we talk about people that aren't safe, when we talk about believers who are meeting under the threat of persecution and possibly death, we want righteous judgment. 
those are some pretty heavy and big examples. When two kids come to you and they both want to explain what happened, they want righteous judgment. There's something innately truly in us that we do actually want righteous judgment. And we want to be judged with equity, not equality. We don't want everyone to get the exact same punishment. We don't want it to be like, we used to have the system in the group home I worked in. He said a swear word, 15 minutes, cut free time. It's stupid, that didn't teach anything. Just taught them to hide it better. Didn't teach them to change their behavior. You have to actually want to have that desire to change things. We don't want equality, we want equity. And here's this righteous God who loves us, who created us, who wants that relationship, who's invited us, who's invited us into his court, who offers that judgment. And this must come to a relief coming at the end of the Psalms we're in the book of Psalms, coming towards the end of reading all of these Psalms about people who are desperately seeking God's righteous judgment to have it come to fruition. Continuing on in verse 11, we're coming to the triumphant end. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his fairness. I love the end of the psalm. Now, something interesting, verse 13, we got sing again, but this isn't sir. This is the thing that means the singing and shouting and crying out for joy as all creation rejoices the Lord God as he comes to judge this earth. Now, this might be actually hard for us to comprehend. We live in a world obsessed with walking dead zombies and apocalyptic sci-fi. The idea of worldwide judgment isn't something that we like, necessarily. But what you have to understand is God's judgment isn't corrupted by these images. It's perfect and it's beautiful. And we actually know exactly what that will look like because we have the whole story now. So if you read Revelations chapter 21 and 22, you get to hear the beauty of the heaven or the new heaven and the new earth, and you get to see what they're going to be. So what the psalmist is trying to say so eloquently is that God is deserving of such praise because he is a just and righteous God who loves us. The psalmist today took us on quite a journey, one of invitation into relationship, into this chorus of voices. He invited us into his kingly court, singing praises to God, proclaiming his salvation and praising his righteous judgment. The psalm contains at least 17 different ways of praising the Lord. And yet it all boils down to a simple sir. This invitation to join in that song of praise, to join the community, to enter that precious relationship. Now God gave us another way to enter that relationship with him. He gave us another invitation to be in that relationship with him, and that's through prayer. When we pray, it's just an opportunity to talk to God. It's nothing more. It's, is that actually that simple? It's just this conversation we're going to have with God. Sometimes it can be more formal, but it actually doesn't really need to be. It's just a conversation. It's a chance to not only bring our worries and concerns before him, but also an opportunity to praise him, to give adoration, to acknowledge just how great and wonderful our God truly is. Whenever I work with the boys, I always call them the boys, 
whenever I work with the boys, whenever I do spot on, whenever I work with kids, I always talk about how important and how we can not just vending machine our God, not just pray to him for the things we need. And he wants to hear that and he loves us and he wants to know those concerns. But you also have this opportunity to be in a relationship with him where you get to acknowledge him for how powerful he is, how much he loves us, how he's been there for us, how he's moved the world for us, how he's given us a life-changing relationship with him. Now, something we do every week at Crosspoint is to pray together. And COVID's made that actually really difficult. It's hard to be together. We have to have distance between them. But I would invite you this morning, like we do every week, we're about to go into a time of prayer. Before we do that, remember that whoever you're with, you can pray with. If you're not with somebody, you can give them a call. If you're by yourself, God's still with you because you're never alone. And he wants to hear from you. He wants that relationship from you. So he's, I'm giving you the invitation this morning that comes from scripture. You're invited to come and to join us in prayer. Now I'm going to pray quickly and then we'll be taken into a time of communal prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and we thank you for your book of Psalms. We thank you for this beautiful opportunity uh, to see people bear their souls, to bear their sides, to bear their struggles, where we can acknowledge how desperately they seek you and want you and love you, Lord. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to sing songs to you, and to be invited into that chorus, to be invited into that relationship with you, God, where we get to praise you and acknowledge who you are. And so God, I just pray that you would be with the people today, that you would encourage them through their prayer life, through their spiritual worship, that you would, they would find the songs that brighten their hearts and lift their spirits, and that this morning, God, we could all come before you, remember who you are and how much you love us. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.